0: Our scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right. Well, it's great to be able to worship together whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. I can't tell you how encouraged we all are as we see these pillars begin to take off. Um, I know it's kind of an unconventional thing this pillar thing. All the staff knows that. So sometimes when you hear people when they respond to this whole pillar thing, they're kind of like, "What is this about?" Well, the key to this whole thing is that we don't try to put ourselves in a position where we're doing things for God, rather we're watching how God works through us to do things. So for example, you may be looking at these pillars and being like, man, I got so much going on in my life, there's absolutely no way I could get involved in these pillars. But here's the thing, we don't want you to stop going to the ball fields on Wednesday, we don't want you to stop going to the gym on Thursday nights or wherever you do on Saturday. Instead, we want you to get involved in a pillar and take these pillars and make them part of your everyday, ordinary life. Because again, it's not us doing things for God, it's God doing things for us. And so many churches, church programs, they're kind of all about getting people to come to a Bible study. And so you come to a place and you get the little Bible study and it's all kind of packaged for you. Or maybe you go out on a prayer walk or maybe you meet at a school and you kind of do work for the community. But those are all good things. But what we want to start doing as a church is we want to start making, when we go to the office, wherever we are, whatever we're doing in life, we're kind of making these part of our everyday, ordinary life. So let's say, for example, you're a part of pillar number 11 up there, building each other up in Christ. That's the one Cammie and Diana are leading. And so you learn how to encourage and build people up. And then everywhere you go, when you go to the ball fields, when you go to the gym, you bring this with you and you learn to encourage people. And then when you start getting really good at that, then grab another pillar, serve others, and you start incorporating that into your everyday ordinary life. And what you'll find is that the atmosphere that you bring everywhere you go completely changes because the atmosphere is God working through you, through all these pillars, and these pillars are the the same fundamentals that we saw the early church focus on. So it's a great opportunity for us. In our everyday ordinary life to look at that in fact paul writes about this in romans 12 and we have the scripture for you up here so here's what i want you to do god helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping eating going to work and walking around life and place it before god as an offering and when we do that we begin to live out this great commission that Jesus himself calls us to. And that's why we have Tyler read this for us at the end of every service, because it's such an important reminder. Jesus calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the best part about these two pieces of Scripture is that we don't go it alone. God promises to be right there with us as we employ these things in our everyday ordinary lives. So again, encourage everyone to get involved in a pillar. Many of them are taking off now. In fact, we have some stuff after service um, that our serve pillar pulled together for you all. We'll talk about that in just a second. So today, we're gonna make our way into the second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's simply an extension of the first chapter, and so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back, check it out online, super easy, you can get caught up literally over your lunch breaks over the next week, you can get caught up with the sermons. Um, And it's so important because these build on each other. And today's message is the first of three, where we're gonna look at this topic of grace through faith. And we talked about grace a month or so ago, you might remember that week we told you that none of you did anything to deserve a cookie after service that week. But we wanted to give you a cookie to show what grace is. It's unmerited favor. And that was an okay cookie, right? It was like an okay cookie. Well, we've raised the bar today. There's an even better cookie waiting for you after church. And just to be clear, none of you deserve it this week. You don't deserve it. And each week as we go through grace, you're gonna see an even better expression of grace each week for the next three weeks. So you're not gonna wanna miss this. Today, We're going to see why grace is so necessary as we break down the text that Cami read for us into four parts. First, our condition. Second, why we're in this condition. Third, the result of the condition. And then fourth, how God views our condition. So first, our condition is as follows, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So, Paul essentially is describing the saints in Ephesus, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, the people he's writing this letter to, as formerly being dead. That was their condition, and that's the same condition every single one of us find ourselves in. Now, the word dead means without life, and the Bible defines life as knowing God or being in a relationship with Him. So, if we're dead, That means we're not in a relationship with God. And why is that? Well, Paul tells us two reasons. It's because of our trespasses and our sins. It's because we deviate from truth, and we miss the mark of truth. That's the definition of trespasses and sins. And as we've learned from this graphic on the left up here, that God is both sovereign and he is good. And in his goodness, he's the very definition of love. He's perfectly holy, he's the author of truth, and he simply cannot be in the presence of trespasses and sins. Not only that, but God is also just, so our sin carries with it a punishment, and it requires a sacrifice to atone for it. Now, in the past, we used this sin spiral to help us understand the nature of our sinful condition. That green line up there, that vertical line, we call that the straight edge of truth. It's absolute truth. Doesn't matter what you think about it, it happens. For example, objects accelerate to the earth regardless of their size, regardless of their composition at 9.8 meters per second squared. You may not like that, you may disagree with that, but it's absolute truth. There's nothing you can do to change that. Everything God speaks is absolute truth, and that's why we're so obsessed with pursuing truth at Four Mile Church. We wanna know it, because when we start to deviate from it, we begin to spin further and further away from that straight edge of truth, and that straight edge of truth represents our relationship with God, and so we get further and further away from him, our creator, the very author of truth. So in essence, we become lifeless, or become dead to him. And that's actually the biggest problem for so many professing Christians, because they're lifeless. And why are they lifeless? Because they don't grasp the depravity of their sinful condition. And there's real consequences for that. Too many professing Christians, they're actually okay with their sin. They try to get away with as much of it as they possibly can. They hide it. It's not until we move to the point where we see sin the way God sees sin that we hate it as much as he does, because that's the condition we find ourselves. And second, Paul teaches us that we're in this condition for a reason, and it's because we've been doing two things, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now when Paul uses this word world, he means life apart from God, and that's exactly what the world is all about. The world tells us how to define success in our lives. They tell us that we've got to have a good job, whatever that is. We've got to be a good athlete, a good musician, good, good hair, good good clothes. We've got to look good all the time. If we're good enough, we'll both be accepted by otherworldly people and we'll also become self-sufficient by the world's standards. You see, the world is all about self. It's a philosophy called humanism, where the human is the center of the universe, not God. The world says, if we could only just improve the human condition, all would be well. We could achieve goodness. But how's that going for us on July 10th, 2022? Countless numbers of mass shootings, 12 last weekend alone, over 40,000 people murdered in the United States last year from mass shootings. Wars, rumors of wars, they never seem to end. Social unrest, it's not working that well, is it? In fact, I'd argue it's been an abject failure. No matter how self-sufficient we are, we simply can't be good enough. That's why the world has always been so prone to blurring that straight edge of truth. Because if you can't meet the standard of truth, then you just blur it up. And that's called moral relativism, another problem we have. That's truth according to me, not God. I'll define things the way I want to. I don't like that whole 9.8 meters per second squared thing. That's why we're so confused these days about things like gender. It's because we've abandoned the absolute truth about it the way God designed it to be, male and female. We now define it the way we want it to be. And so we have every machination of this truth about gender out there. We got male, female, trans, neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, genderqueer, two-spirit, third gender. Why? Because we follow the course of the world. We subscribe to humanism and moral relativism. We pursue self-sufficiency instead of pursuing God's absolute truth. And second, because we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience. That's the devil. Churches don't talk about him much these days, to the point where many professing Christians don't even believe he exists. But Satan is real, and he's represented in Scripture by a cunning serpent, because that's exactly how he operates. And he actually wants you to think that he doesn't exist. But he does exist. And he's evil. And he wants to be God. And so he hates God. And he wants to destroy God's creation. And he's very subtle about how he does it. Do you remember what he said to Eve in the garden? He didn't attack God outright. He just simply asked a question. Did God really say that? Doubting God's absolute truth. He's the prince of the power of the air meaning the spiritual realm on earth. He promotes a spirit of disobedience. Now, disobedience is the opposite of obedience. And God defines obedience as the manifestation of love for Him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So a spirit of disobedience is a spirit that does not love God. It does not love His truth. That is a spirit that we're all born with, as we'll see in just a minute. It's a spirit that rejects God and it's a spirit that's promoted by the devil and his demons who are always at work. C.S. Lewis's book entitled The Screwtape Letters, if you haven't read it, get a copy. And if you haven't read it in a couple years, get a copy. Because it shows us how the devil operates and it's so important that we see that because we tend to focus on people who we think are bad. People like Stalin or Hitler or Putin these days. But they're just puppets. They're nothing compared to the spirit that functions behind the scenes through each of them. The unseen powers of the darkness that operate in the spiritual realm, and they make us dead when we follow them. That subtle suggestion in the back of our minds that checking out another person's spouse is okay as long as we don't get caught. That little white lie we tell to spare someone's feelings That extra donut we gluttonously consume, did God really say that? Or if God is so good, doesn't he want me to be happy and healthy and wealthy all the time? These are all subtle lies that the devil uses to make us dead to God. It's the second reason we're in this condition. And then third, Paul explains how we've all been there. He says, among whom we all once lived. How? How? in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind so this is the result of being in this condition being dead it's how it manifests itself so we all really need to pay attention to this because the key here is to see that our sins are actually a result of something that resides within us it's not because we sin that we're sinners it's because we're sinners That we sin. And we saw this truth in Psalm 51 when we studied that during Lent. We also saw it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's because we live in the passion of our flesh, following things of the world and the things of the devil. Now, what is flesh? When we see that in Scripture, it means the worldly nature of man apart from the divine influence of God. It's the part of us that is disobedient to God, focused on self. And Paul teaches us that it's fueled by our passions. Now, the word for passion here in the original language is synonymous with that word lust, which means desiring those things that are forbidden to us. You see, God designed his creation a certain way, namely to glorify him. When we step outside of that and we glorify ourselves over God, it distorts the desires of our body and our mind, the way God designed them to be. Let's first look at our bodies. God designed them with a desire for such things as hunger, thirst, sleep, even sex. And after God created us, he not only said it was good, like the rest of creation, he said it was very good. And if you think about it, God made us to desire these things because we need them to stay alive. Humans are sustained by food, drink, and sleep. And if we didn't have this gift of sex, we couldn't procreate, so we'd become extinct as a species. So we need them. But the problem is the passions of our flesh, because they cause us to deviate from the truth the way these were designed to be used. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. But... We begin to live our lives around food, that's another problem. We eat three or four pieces of cake. We finish a meal and we immediately begin to make plans for the next one. And the same goes with drink. We gluttonously consume five, six, seven cups of coffee, eight Diet Dr. Peppers just to get through the day. And then we come home after a rough day and we gotta consume 10, 11, 12 beers to just kinda smooth everything out. We also sleep at extremes. We work so hard that we only sleep sporadically or we're slothful and we nap all the time. And while the sins of the body are the most obvious for us to see because they're observable, the same thing goes with the sins of our minds. God also made us with the desire of the mind to be accepted, to be attractive, to be valued, to be thriving. And they're all very good desires, according to God. They're critical for our mental and emotional well being. But again, the passions of our flesh distort them, resulting in such things as envy, pride, anger, bitterness, even hatred. As we follow the world's view of what it takes to be valued and thriving, and as we give in to the devil's temptation, distorting God's truth about what makes us accepted. attractive to him do you see how the passions of our flesh distort the desires of our bodies and our minds that God created in us to bring him glory such we use them instead to glorify ourselves at its core that's what sin does to us and those sins in our lives they always leave scars it's why we're all such a mess so damaged so bruised And then fourth, this is how God views our condition. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let's start with the object of this statement, children of wrath. God's wrath is not characterized like human wrath, where we're losing control or recklessly and violently destroying state. Rather, the wrath of God is defined as punishment based on justice. So as children of wrath, we are subject to the just punishment associated with our trespasses and our sins. God, by his nature, can't excuse sin. He's perfectly holy, and he cannot let it off the hook. It must be dealt with. It must be punished. That's just how God views our sinful condition. But notice how it is that we become children of wrath. It's not because we did something. It's because we are something. Remember, it's because we're sinners that we sin. Paul says it's by nature we are children of wrath. We've been born with it. It's a result of our original sin. And we hear that phrase all the time in church world. So it's important that we understand what it means when we say original sin. So here's the definition for it. The moral corruption humans possess as a consequence of Adam's sin, resulting in a sinful disposition manifesting itself in habitually sinful behavior That's totally us isn't it habitually sinful behavior You recall from our study in Psalm 51 during Lent David confessed his sin went all the way back to his mother's womb You see we're all by nature born sinners because of Adam and Eve's original sin in the garden It's the consequence for all mankind as a result of the original sin of choosing self-glory over God's glory giving in to the devil's subtle lies questioning God's absolute truth did he really say that we're by nature children of wrath rebelling against God and his truth focused on self striving to be self-sufficient just like God and then Paul concludes with the words like the rest of mankind you see We're all sinners, that's the truth. No one of us better than another, all sinners by nature. It's why we say each week that it is okay to not be okay at Four Mile Church. We don't do that to excuse our sin, make ourselves feel better because other people are just like it. No, we do that to remind ourselves that we never sit in judgment on other people because we have our own sin that we got to deal with. The sins of gluttonously eating, drinking, sleeping, jealousy, envy, pride, they're every bit as bad as murder, adultery, lying, stealing, or even failing to observe the Sabbath like so many of us struggle with. God does not discriminate in his judgment on sin. He is just. He never lets any of it off the hook. It will all be punished. Now, some of you are sitting there looking at me like, Hey, man, I thought this was about grace, and all you two keep doing here is rattling off on this whole sin thing. But I think it's so important that we notice how Paul teaches this doctrine of grace through faith by beginning with our sin, and we don't want to miss that, and that's actually one of our biggest problems is we forget the whole sin piece. We love the heaven story. We love the Jesus story, but we often forget why. It's where the gospel message must always begin. You see, we can't begin to understand why God would need to send His Son to be a human being. Why would He have to do that? We can't understand why we'd have to send His Son to not only be a human, but to be flogged and crucified the way He was, to the point where He died and was buried. And we can't understand then why it is that He had to resurrect Him from the dead, ascend Him into heaven, and make Him our King until we understand the depth of our condition lifeless dead to god and our trespasses and sins you see we must revisit this truth every day of our lives it's why the devil tempts us into believing that we're actually good people because the truth is there's nothing good about us and because god is just our sins they will be punished The only thing we got going for us is the fact that our just god is also loving and in his love in his grace he gave us something that we didn't deserve he sent his son to bear that punishment on our behalf so for the saints those who are faithful in christ jesus the very people to whom paul's writing this letter there's tremendous hope notice how the verse today is in the past tense we're dead once walked once lived were by nature because for those who are in Christ those who have placed their faith in him this no longer applies we're free from the bondage of sin we've been redeemed we're no longer what we used to be enslaved by the heavy chains of our sins stained by our transgressions people we've been redeemed we can count on it It's absolute truth. God said it when he speaks whatever he says happens. He's the author of truth Next week, we're gonna unpack this some more because Paul is gonna describe exactly What God's rescue plan is all about in very great detail. It's all about his amazing grace So trust me you don't want to miss that So how do we respond to all this well this morning We're going to gather at the foot of the cross to contemplate the depths of this teaching today. We know God is just, that has never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But we also know that God is loving, because under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. Before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for us, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and his people for all time. Communion is for those who place their faith in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Paul instructs us to examine ourselves before we receive the elements. We're not examining ourselves to see if we're worthy because none of us are worthy. Rather, we're examining ourselves to make sure that we're embracing the immense price God paid to save us from our sins. So let's all take a moment in the quiet of our hearts to humbly confess our sin, accept His forgiveness, and then recommit ourselves in humble obedience to His service. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.